Timothy chapter 2. Now I want to remind you what something you already know that you, uh, you're going against the Laodicean mindset. I said that with my northern Michigan voice. You know, that, that northern Michigan is a very nasally mindset, like the Bible, King James, you know. <laughs> All right, I'll be, behave here. But you're going against the Laodicean mindset, and over there in uh, Revelation, while you're going to Timothy, uh, Revelation chapter 3, now I know you know this, but I want to remind you, Revelation chapter 3, over there, 14, 15, 16, says that those in Laodicea, the church of Laodicea, they uh, have need of nothing. And uh, I guess you probably thought you needed something today. Amen? You see that? You thought you needed something. So uh, praise the Lord for you. You're going against Laodicea. I mean, Laodicea is the church period we're in, but man, you can fight it. You can fight it. Second Timothy chapter number 2. <clears throat> We'll begin reading in verse 3. <coughs> Excuse me. Revelation chapter 2. Second uh, Timothy chapter. I don't know where I'm at. All right. Bible says, uh, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. All right, Brother Bean, help us out and pray and help me get on track. Amen. I should appreciate you praying that for me. All right. <laughs> Might get a complex if you're still doing it in 20 years, but at any rate. Now, like I said uh, last time we are together, if you're going to be a good soldier for Jesus Christ, there are going to be some things that you have to endure, right? Some things you have to endure. And uh, uh, as most of you know, and if you don't know, you need to know and you need to remember it. Uh, you live in the, uh, I call it, the, the old preacher called it the Pollyanna generation. It wants everything positive. And uh, we don't just say that because we want to be mean and acerbic and vitriolic. You like those synonyms? We say that because it's the truth. <clears throat> and in this world, if you notice, <clears throat> everything you turn on the television or radio, it's positive hits. It's your positive note for the day. And let me tell you what, you need some negativity to balance out the positive in this world. And the reality is, is if you're going to be a Christian, you're going to have to endure some hardness. Uh, your family can shield you from it for a while. Praise the Lord for that. The Lord will shield you, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, from uh, hardness as a young Christian so you can grow the right way. But once it's time, it is time and it's appointed. Your afflictions are appointed and you can't get away from it. So, of course, as you know, many times what happens, Christians, they'll face hardness and they'll collapse under pressure. And we preach a little bit about that on Wednesday, but you're going to have to endure some things. And the first uh, thing that we looked at is right here in verse uh, number 3, it's hardness. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 4. There's some other things that you're going to have to endure. Not just, you know, hardness, it's hard times, hard times. You say, well, what's hard times? Well, how about uh, three and a half bucks a gallon? For gas. That's hard times. You know. I mean, when I was a kid, uh, my old man was telling me, he remember when gas was, uh, you know, 11 cents. <laughs> he used to tell me how uh, 
It's not very Baptistic, uh, uh, not very appropriate, but he's it's used to when he was uh, back in the 50s, he'd go to the show and he'd get a, he'd call it a soda pop, and he got an ice cream. He took a quarter and brought back a nickel. But you say, well, why is everything going up? You tell me. The Bible says uh, hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of men are never satisfied. Remember back in the 80s, early 80s, the coffee fires over in Costa Rica and over in those coffee plantations, and your coffee prices went up, and they never came back down. Why? It's too good. All your prices went up for during COVID. Guess what? They ain't coming back down. You're going to have to endure hardness as a Christian. <clears throat> now, your, your lost people and lost neighbors have to put up with that stuff too, but you're going to have to put up with it. Just because you're saved doesn't mean the Lord's going to make sure you have your cupboards full all the time. You have to endure hardness. As a good, that's what a good soldier does. But look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. You're going to endure hardness as a Christian. Look at this, verse 4. The <clears throat> Bible says, So that we ourselves glory in you, in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. You see that? Persecutions and tribulations. So you're going to have to learn to endure persecutions and tribulations if you're going to be a good soldier for Jesus Christ. You say, well, when does that happen? When you open your mouth about the Lord. It does. Now, uh, a lot of Christians in Laodicea, they keep their mouth tight-lipped. And you can go a ways. Uh, you can go a ways with keeping your mouth shut and avoiding trouble. But you know what? Eventually, <laughs> the Lord's going to put you in a spot where you have to open your mouth for him. You say, I don't believe that. You never did read about Nicodemus, did you? Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. He was a master in Israel. He was worried. He was afraid. Uh, he was concerned, you know, that people might see him. But at the end, you know what Nicodemus is doing in the book of Acts? He's publicly proclaiming Christ. You see that? And all you have to do is sit there as a Christian, keep your mouth shut, and never say anything about the Lord. And you'll go a long way, but the Lord, he's, uh, he's a little trickier than you think. He'll put you, uh, he'll put you in the corner. <laughs> uh, not with your nose in the corner, even though some Christians belong to be in the corner, amen. <laughs> but some Christians, well, the Lord will put you in a corner with your back up against the wall, and you'll have to open your mouth about the Lord. And once you do that, then you're going to see uh, uh, this verse here come to play, and you're going to have to endure. Uh, you're going to have to endure not only afflictions, but you have to do persecutions and tribulations that you endure. You know, and uh, I was saved as a young boy, in April twenty fourth, nineteen eighty three, and I grew up in a Christian home. Praise the Lord for that. Not everyone is. That's a blessing. Um, I, I mean, I didn't always get along with my parents. Duh, right? But um, I wasn't the perfect child either, duh. <laughs> but I never was one of those kids that said, well, you just don't ever want me to do anything. I don't know. I, I heard some kids, man, they're like, well, you just don't want me to have no fun. Really? I know lost parents keep better track of some Christian parent kids. And what the world calls fun usually leaves you with regret. But I was raised in a Christian home. I praise the Lord for that. And then uh, 1996, the Lord finally got a hold of my heart. And I was searching because what I had grown up in was a dead end. Now, it led to salvation, and that's not a dead end, but there's more beyond salvation. There's a relationship with the Lord, and there you believe in His Word, 
and growing in grace. I never knew nothing about it. So I had about had enough of it. I'm like, that's all it is, man. <laughs> well, let's go. Let's go do something else. Let's, let's change the chapter. <clears throat> and you hear all, all the scuttlebutt and all the, why don't the, the kids uh, want to go to the church? <clears throat> you know, they blame the parents, and then they blame the kids, and then they blame the world. How about this? The pulpits aren't hot anymore. The pulpit ain't hot. Pulpits aren't telling, the, uh, telling anybody to have a relationship with the Lord. It's hard to compete with the world, isn't it? But anyway, he's raised in a Christian home, but back about 1996, you know what the Lord uh, uh, stirred me up to do? Open my mouth for him. <laughs> Let me tell you what, when it did, it came, man. The persecution came. Not only did my boss not like me, uh, half the people I talked to didn't like me. You know what I'm talking about. Same thing with you. You open your mouth for the Lord, and people are not going to, they'll tolerate you if they have to work with you. But if you start giving them tracks and you start witnessing to them and you start trying to bring the conversation around a thing, we're doing all right this morning? Spiritual things, man, you're going to have a hard time. And that's why most Christians keep their mouth shut. That's why most Christians, uh, you know what the devil will do more than anything? He'll try to put a little thing in their hand about this big, you know. Keep their mouth shut. Yeah, you want to stop and think that I bet you more Christians support the nicotine industry than anybody else. <laughs> and they got the Holy Spirit of God in them. They've got the comforter. <laughs> but uh, as soon as you open your mouth, here comes the persecutions and tribulations, and uh, you're going to have to endure that as well. Amen? You're going to have to learn to endure persecutions and tribulations. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. It's a choice. It's a decision. But here's the thing. Even if you don't choose to make, take a stand for Jesus Christ, like I said, the Lord's going to put you in, in that position. He will put you in that position. 2 Timothy 3, 11. And let me tell you what, when he does, you won't always react the right way. Uh, I know some of you uh, hate failure and refuse to fail, but you're going to fail when it comes to standing up for the Lord. It doesn't matter. Everyone's got to go through that thing. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Paul here says, persecutions, afflictions which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Man, you ought to underline that. That's a blessing. Here's the Apostle Paul, the chiefest of sinners. He's uh, probably one of the greatest Christians in the New Testament. And he says that the Lord delivered him out of all, all that stuff. But at the same time, notice he says, I endured. He endured. He, he put up with it. And that's what Christians struggle with, is putting up with hard times and putting up when your faith is tested and always thinking the Lord's mad at you when it's just a, you know, a trial, just trouble, it's just tribulation. <clears throat> you know, you, know you're, you get a flat tire and you think God hates you. No, you're, you're due for new tires and you waited too long. Relax. <laughs> All things work together for good. Amen? You just want to make sure you got as many miles. You did. You got all the miles that tire was going to handle. Amen? <clears throat> so here we see persecutions, afflictions, and the Christian has to learn to endure them. And uh, Paul says, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. That's a great verse. Uh, go to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5. 2 Timothy 4 verse 5. There's some things a Christian has to endure. This modern Christianity is a joke. 
you know it and I know it. <clears throat> and don't let yourself get sucked in by the big brass, bodacious talk, and it's just garbage. The Bible says here in 2 Timothy 4 5, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions. He's telling Timothy that. Do the work of an evangelist. Now, I know that's to a preacher boy, but you ought to do the work of an evangelist. Amen? That means you look at everybody like they're a lost soul. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. Maybe your track will uh, awaken them from the spiritual slumber they're in. and Maybe they're saved and maybe it's just uh, they needed the true, pure words of the living God to go across their eyeballs and light their soul up. You see that? He, but uh, he says, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. And if anyone's going to minister, uh, they're, they're going to have a ministry, the, that ministry is going to have some afflictions. Amen? No doubt. Uh, the faithful few here this morning are a personal witness to the afflictions that this ministry's had over the years. Amen? Don't be ashamed of that stuff. You know, it determines, uh, this is, I'm not looking for credit here, but you know what the true test of a New Testament minister is? It's not big numbers, not big buildings, not buses, and whatever other B you can come up with. You know what it is? It's suffering. That's the proof of a New Testament minister, 2 Corinthians 11 and 12. You go through it. Now, nobody wants to go through it. But I'm telling you what, the more you go through it, the more you crave the rod and the staff. Thy rod and thy staff, they, man, there's something about the rod and staff of God. When he threshes you and when he's letting you go through it, it's comforting. <clears throat> All right, so the Lord's going uh, to have to use some things to chip off uh, the rust on Christians. Christians are full of rust. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, you buy a truck from somebody and they fill it full of Bondo, but they don't get rid of the rust first next season couple rains and bumpy roads, it all falls off, and you got a rusty truck again. <laughs> but the Lord has to chip that rust off you, Christian. He has to, uh, he has to chip off the uh, rust. He has to uh, chip off all those dented edges and smooth you out, work you over. And uh, as the old priest said, uh, we are invited to a wedding, amen. Looking forward to that great wedding day. But it ain't no picnic along the way. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. you got to remember that. And uh, when you were a little kid and you'd travel with mom and dad, you'd always uh, say, are we there yet? <laughs> and finally, your dad or your mom yelled at you, told you to shut up and sit down and quit asking that. <laughs> but uh, don't you ask the Lord that? Are we there yet? <laughs> You're like, this scenery, Lord. <laughs> I mean, it's beautiful in fall time, but man, are we there yet? <laughs> Hebrews 12, verse 7. Notice what uh, Paul says here. He says, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chaseth not? So, you know, you're going to have to endure hardness. You're going to have to do trial and troubles and afflictions. And here you're going to have to endure some chastening as a Christian. Amen? I don't know, I don't know how, I know how some of, my, I, I remember how some of my children were with chastening, but do you remember how you were with chastening? Did you always have a good attitude about it? <laughs> you're like, you stupid old man. <laughs> Dumber in a box of, you know, raisins or something. <laughs> right? Lord, you know, gets after you. You always take it the right way. I'm just saying, look, you're going to have to learn to endure some chastening. A big lesson the Lord taught me probably was in my tw late 20s or 30s. 
is over there in Peter. He says, if you would be buffeted for your own faults, you know what he said? Take it patiently. So if you've got enough spiritual discernment, Christian, to realize that you're going through it because of your actions, the best advice I can give you is take it patiently and just sit under the pressure and thank God for it. And when you take it patiently, the Bible says this is acceptable with God. But no one likes to admit they're going through it, amen. I mean, we all like to go, well, you know, Lord, why is everybody always picking on me and it's difficult? And I've been there a hundred times. But uh, to have the spiritual discernment to be able to realize that God's chastening you, that's something else. I mean, uh, you know, I know this generation doesn't do it, but when you were a kid, did you talk about your whippings to your friends? I know that sounds retarded, you know. Oh, I got a whipping this weekend, you know. We don't say that stuff. Why? It's private. The Lord always deals with you privately. Now, I know he can bring things to light publicly if you won't take care of it, amen. But you don't go around talking about that. But Paul says endure chastening. And uh, God's going to chasten every one of his sons if you're saved. Because if he's not chastening you, you know what uh, Hebrews calls you? A bastard. Does that means He ain't your father. If you ain't getting chased or threshed or worked over every now and then, you ain't a son of his. Amen? The old examples like this, did your... When your dad got upset, did he go whip the neighbor boy? Well, maybe back in the 50s or 40s they did. Now you get a bullet in your head, you try to do that. Amen? But you only, you only, you only I'll, say it, I'll say it the way the world wants, you only correct your child, you know, discipline your own children. <laughs> in my house, I was getting a whooping. But <clears throat> instead of getting all bent out of shape and pouting like, uh, I suppose a lot of Christians, we do that from time to time, Amen? Um, but God will chastise you, and you're going to have to learn to endure it, put up with it. Amen. That went over real good. How about uh, Psalm chapter 30? Now, that's the truth. You love the Lord. Is he your father? Then he's going to chastise you, ain't he? Because if he didn't do that, he wouldn't be a good daddy. If you didn't chastise your children, you're a rotten parent. You should be picked up for child neglect. Amen. Oh, I know. I just, everyone thinks their way is right and everyone else's way is wrong. Okay, help yourself, man. I just have the judgment seat of Christ for how I corrected my children. And you will too. <laughs> Look at uh, Psalm 30, verse 5. Uh, the psalmist here says, For his anger endureth but a moment. In his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Now, that's a second advent passage. Joy comes in the morning. You know what we are? We're children of the day. We're looking for the time we get out of here. But that's the second Advent passage. But if you look at the thing practically, you and I are going to have to learn to endure some anger sometimes. You see that? That's a good cross-reference to enduring chastisement, but only in type. Now go back to 2 Timothy chapter 2. You know, you have to endure some things, and that thing will preach a month of Sundays about things that you and I have to learn to endure. 2 Timothy chapter 2, look at verse 4. I mean, don't you have to put up with things in your family? Yeah, man, I know we're just a small crowd. I'm just, I'm just trying to get you to think this morning. Now, you've got to put up with some things with your family, and the longer you're married, you realize it's still death to you part. <laughs> Amen? And you're going to have to put up with things, and then you get a job. It's your dream job, and you have to put up with things. Can't boss us. <laughs> Always. And everyone who has a boss that's less than intelligent, right? 
But you're going to have to know, why do you think in the Christian life you wouldn't have to endure things? I didn't say you said that. I'm just trying to get you to see the correlation, right? You have to put up with things when you go get your, you know, get your groceries. I like that saying is, you know, uh, people quit church all the time. That's a totally different reason they quit church. But you can go to McDonald's, you know, a thousand times a year, and they'll mess up your order 995 times. You know, in the other county, you know. But you know what you'll do? You'll go back, right? You keep going back. Some of you are like, I don't go there. Well, you're smart, and you have more money. <laughs> but you keep going back. Why? You're hungry. You know why people quit going to church? They're not hungry. But man, if that frappe machine ever turned on in Rose City, we'd be back there in a heartbeat, wouldn't we? <laughs> Right? Why? Hungry. I mean, don't you go throughout the day going, man, double cheeseburger sounds pretty good right about now. You ever think that way about the Word of God? I'm just doing a little bit of preaching this morning. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. The Bible says, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Now you notice here, uh, Paul says you're going to have to deal with the entanglements of this life. You're going to have to deal with it. If you're not careful, uh, those entanglements will mess you up as a Christian. They will. And uh, I've been tangling things before. And, and man, I, it's, it's a, you ever do the cat's cradle thing? You know, the, you know, the one finger there and there. And you're just like, woohoo. And all of a sudden you're like, I know I, I, I think I just made a hangsman noose, you know. And you try to pull it together and you got yourself a big knot. That's like messing around with the things of this world. Christians do it all the time. Uh, Christians are. Christians are about to embark upon the most wicked day of the year called Halloween. And Christians are entangled in that stuff. And you know why? Two reasons. Number one, they don't read the Bible. Any Christian that reads the Bible for, I'm going to say conservatively, at least five minutes a day would never desire to go out there and be a part of that Halloween stuff. They wouldn't. Why? I think one verse, I have no uh, fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Well, you know, it's just playing. It's just pretend. Really? The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 8, all them that hate me love death. As so a one day out of the year, they glorify and magnify, ghastly, ghouly, demonic, uh, walk around cutting your head off, walk around cutting your leg off, and, you know, extreme horror. All them that hate me love, there's your Halloween. You see that? And a Christian is going to get tangled up. You say, oh, preacher, that's a why is that a touchy subject? Because Christians are stupid and they don't read the Bible anymore? Well, they just don't understand. I've taught about that for the last 10 years. It's not my fault the sheep don't come at the trough and eat. Amen. You say, well, you're kind of cut and dried. How else are you going to be? If you're hungry, come get fed. Come learn about that stuff. But that stuff will tangle you up. See, you start thinking that stuff's okay, then you start thinking it's okay to watch shows like that. And the next thing you know, you've invited the devil's window and workshop into your very spirit. And you get all these wicked spirits that are glorifying death and magnifying death and glorifying Satan and hailing Satan as a hero and making his son, uh, you know, making him a, a hero on a TV show now, I hear. And Lucifer, and you watch that thing, and he's, he's handsome, and he's got dark hair, and he's extremely strong. 
And all the ladies swoon over him. You know what his name is? His name is Lucifer. How could we be so stupid? And you watch a couple episodes of that, and you know what you begin to think? He's a good guy. And then they've done exactly what they need to do to deceive you, to make you fall in love with a character. You know the Lord wrote a book full of characters, and the main character he wants you to fall in love with, you won't because you won't read it? There are some shows uh, I'll tell on myself because I'm flesh just like anybody else. This is a confession time. I already took care of it with the Lord. There's that show, Blue Bloods, Blue Bloods, and it's about New York cops and all that, and uh, it's a family clean show, if you don't mind it starting and ending with alcohol in the Catholic Church. Every show ends with a beer and a shot of whiskey and the Catholic Church, and look at that fine family. You say, well, what about it? Well, you watch enough of it, you'll develop a relationship with the character, and you'll find yourself emulating their actions. Well, therefore, if you uh, read enough of this book, you'll begin to emulate the major character of this book because it begins to transform you. The more you watch that stuff, the more you watch of your personal God on your device, you begin to emulate their actions. You begin to fall in love with those characters. And that stuff entangles you, so you've got to be careful, Christian. Look at verse 4. No man that warth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And Chris, you're going to have to deal with entanglements. And if you're not careful, you're going to get messed up. And if you're young in the Lord, you're going to get messed up and have to beg God to pull you out. You're going to have to ask the Lord to untie your knots. Amen. And uh, because a good soldier who entangles himself with the affairs of this life, you know what he'll do? He'll fail. He'll fail his mission. He won't be able to complete his course. Uh, and what tangles me up might not entangle you up. That's why it's a personal thing. That doesn't mean a certain amount of sin is right for anybody. But it's never wrong to go down the right road as long as you can and it turns into the wrong road. Then you got to get out. Uh, let me show you a fellow about a man who fell, 2 Timothy 4. That's exactly what happened here with this fellow here, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. I don't think we look at this fellow enough here. His name's Demas. And there's some one-off, uh, you know, cute little sayings we say about Demas. But, man, that's a fellow worth studying. Uh, Demas shows up three or four times in the Bible over a period of six years. And uh, you got to realize your Bible is not always written in chronological order. And what you learn from studying the life of Demas, and uh, even if you use the dates uh, that Schofield put in there or Usher, put in there. Most of you have probably Schofield or uh, James Usher's dates in there. You're going to find out that he served the Lord for six years and he was quite a fella. And you can just put two and two together, but at the end, something drew him out. He got entangled. He fell in love with something. His love shifted. Uh, look at this, 410. The Bible says, For Demas hath forsaken me, that's Paul speaking, having loved this present world and his departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Now, we said this last week, but you notice it doesn't say that Demas forsook the Lord. He forsook his leader, Paul. You say, why is he his leader? Because he's Paul the apostle. He's missionary to these churches. He's starting these churches, and God uses men as leaders, and leaders produce godly followers. Paul said, be also followers of me as I also am of Christ. 
Who are you following? So I follow Jesus Christ. Hardly. You see what I mean? Well, I follow Jesus Christ. No, you don't. If you follow Jesus Christ, you'll follow a man. And you're going to take some heat for that one. That's Pauline. You say, oh, that's, that's being a dictator. No, that's being biblical, and people are too stupid and ignorant to figure it out. All right. <clears throat> amen, amen. And so it says he forsook his leader. And sometimes if you, uh, you run a reference over there in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, it says over there, uh, go ahead and turn there. We need to look at that. Great passage. Uh, uh, the Apostle John comes right out and tells you not to love the world. Amen? And if you don't love the world, that doesn't mean be neutral towards it either. Actually, Paul said in Galatians 1.4, this present evil world. So if it's evil, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, evil is bad. <laughs> I sound like third grade to say that, right? If, if evil is bad and it's against God and we're not supposed to love it, does that mean you should be neutral towards it and accept it? No, man. You should hate the things that God hates. You know what I hate? I hate this world. I hate this world system. Now you say that and people are like, oh, you're a hater. and you just I don't hate people and I hate this world system. Amen. He says, uh, verse 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, here it is. This is everything in the world right here. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father but is of the world. Everything in this world comes down to those three things right there. Uh, so not only that, but uh, look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, real quick, verse 9 and 10. Love not the world, he says, and Demas forsook Paul, having loved this present world. You know why people leave the church? One of the reasons, one of the reasons is, is because they love the world, and it's not because they intended on it, it's because they didn't hate it. If you hate something, you are not going to love it. And when a Christian who, who, who summarily does not read their Bible to begin with, that is the age you and I live in. This is the age where we no longer read our Bible. So therefore, you can't be in love with someone you don't know and have a relationship with, but then you're neutral towards something God told you to hate and not love. So you automatically develop a love for the things that you shouldn't. See how slick that thing is? All right, uh, second, uh, what, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Now here he talks about money. Money. And uh, everyone's, well, money's private. Money, it ain't private. You blow it wherever you want to. 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10. The Bible says, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith, pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You ever had uh, financial sorrows? Amen, amen. <laughs> if not, hang on. If you're able to avoid it, God bless you. <laughs> but no doubt everyone's going to face it. You're going to face it at one time or the other. The Lord will get you through it. 
But uh, Demas loved the, the world, and some people, you read right here, they love money. They love money. And it's very easy to get entangled with the affairs of this life. So one way you can avoid being entangled is pay attention to money matters. Pay attention to money matters. Uh, 2.4 again says, No man that warreth entangleth himself the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a good soldier. Now listen, we know this, it takes money, it takes money to live in this life. <laughs> it's just what it is. And I've never been one to ask for everybody's money. I've never asked for a penny. <laughs> Why? That is between you and the Lord, but I'm going to tell you what the Lord tells you about it. And here's the thing, you only need so much money to live. You ever go through your uh, bank statement and highlight stuff that you just didn't have to have? That's none of your business. Okay. I'm not asking you to show me. I'm just saying, have you ever done it? You take out the last month's statement of your bank, get your highlighter and go, I couldn't have lived without this, and start highlighting it. I'm not trying to put you in a prison. I'm just trying to get you to think you've got to be careful with your money matters because that stuff entangles. It's entangled me. All right, <clears throat> the affairs of this life takes money. You only need so much to live. And like the old preacher said, the rest you're just going to show off with. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Amen. You ever notice uh, if you, well, you got a hobby or something or tools and you start getting extras, you start losing them? Half the time, the reason we, I don't know, we've got some tools, got like a dozen, and every time we lose it, we go buy another one. We get home, we find it, and now we got another one. <laughs> and no man ever said, oh, we have too many tools, you know, <laughs> right? That stuff will entangle. You got to be careful. Now look at verse 5. You got to pay attention to money matters if you're going to please the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing as Christians? Striving for masteries? He said, I thought we were supposed to please the Lord. Yes, and in striving to please the Lord, we're striving for masteries. We're striving, we're, uh, we're uh, what's Paul say? I press toward the mark for the prize. I don't want to just, uh, you know, be on the team. I want the prize. And if you're a Christian, you don't want the prize. I think you got something wrong with your thinking. Old preacher called it stinking thinking. <laughs> but you're striving for masteries, Amen. Uh, pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day, still praying as I'm onward by, Lord, lift my feet, or whatever it is, I'm planting my feet on higher ground. <laughs> but that's masteries. You want to get better, don't you? You want to please the Lord more. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 4, that we ought to walk and please Him more and more, right? Should abound more and more is what he says there. All right, so we're looking to strive for masteries. So you know what Paul's saying here? <clears throat> If you don't win fair, you don't win at all. I'll say it again. It's worth writing it down. If you don't win fair as a Christian, you don't win at all. Anybody can be joyful in winning. That's why I say, oh, Lord, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. Anybody can be happy with God's blessing. But the test of your character as a Christian is, will you still serve God if he takes everything away? That's the real test. Oh, that gets it real close to the cotton, don't it? If you take everything away, will you still serve him? You know what Job said? 
Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a mouthful, ain't it? You said like that. I said, are you like that preacher? If the Lord kills you, you'll trust him. I'm like, I sure hope so. I'm not asking him to give it a whirl, amen. <laughs> but the test of your character is will you still serve God? And the big, uh, when he takes everything away from you, the big test is never winning. Are you listening? The big test is never winning. The big test is losing. Are you a good loser? Now, in America, we have produced a generation that do not know how to lose. And they're the biggest losers as the generation ever put out. Uh, as a substitute teacher for art class, obviously God's gifted some young people with artistic abilities. I'd be like my dad said, I'm the one that draws flies, amen. <laughs> but anyways, uh, some kids, they're, you know, stick figures, right? But you know, this generation is produced even amongst those that are gifted and talented. They don't want to put forth any effort because they don't want to fail. So instead of putting in the effort and taking a chance, they just don't do it. That's where you're at. But the big test is losing. The big test is you, you're doing the best you can. You, let's say it's an art class and you sit down and you got to put together a collage and you do the best you can and you get a C. Can you be happy with it? Say, nope, not in my constitution. All right, you're a poor loser. <laughs> That's why the Bible says over there in Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. You can look at it if you want there. The Bible says, He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. And there are some things in this Christian life you're going to have to lose. And here's the thing. When you lose things in the Christian life, the Lord is there to redo it if you let him take some stuff away. He'll redo it if you let him take some stuff away. Amen. But you're going to have to please God, and you're going to have to learn to strive lawfully. Uh, never try to force yourself. Never try to force yourself. Never try to open doors. Uh, look at Philippians 3. A lot of Christians are professional door kickers. They are. Uh, they, get the, they get it in their mind that God wants them doing some, something, and uh, they say, well, uh, I, it's still... Uh, a small voice, and that voice is probably the devil, not the Holy Spirit. It was an unclean spirit. And uh, what happens is they try to kick doors open instead of waiting on God. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. <clears throat> he says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Paul went into the ministry after he was converted, and he lost it all. But God redid it, didn't he? He redid it for Paul. And be found in him, verse 9, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. So you got to strive lawfully. You gotta strive lawfully. And this non-local church bunch is nothing more than a bunch of rebels. I'll say it again. You got a group of Christians out here in every community in across America, and they're non-local church. You know what they are? They're rebels. You know what they're I'm, I worry about them. I know some personally. Why? They're not striving lawfully. I sent a text message to a man I love. One helped me get out of trouble when I was a out of college and helped get me back on the narrow path and helped me find the King James Bible. 
I said, I worry about you, man. He said, what do you worry about me for? I said, because you ain't doing it right. And that doesn't mean because you're doing it like me either. you got to strive lawfully, the Bible says. That's what we're talking about. Just because you're saved and you know you're going for heaven, you've got to join up with a man. You've got to get in a local church, amen? You've got to get dedicated to the things of God. And you've got to strive lawfully. And this crowd that uh, is a non-local church bunch, uh, they won't be crowned. They won't strive lawfully. I'll say it again. They won't get the crown because they won't strive lawfully. A man who refuses to loke up with the local church will not be crowned because he will not strive lawfully. And <clears throat> I don't care how many personal ministries and things Christians do through their home, uh, through, uh, through uh, their workplace and through their family and through their digital presence, if that Christian won't serve the Lord through the local church, they won't get the crown. And you need to know that. You say, you just think the local church is the answer. It's God's physical representation of the body of Christ here. And if this is where God wants you, yes, that is the answer. <clears throat> Amen. <laughs> All right, so we're about done here. So back in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3, that Christian, he's described as a soldier, right? A good soldier. <clears throat> so a soldier, but not only a soldier, but now in verse 6, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the Christian, he is described as a husbandman. You see that in verse 6? The husbandman that laboreth must first uh, partaker of the fruits, must be first partaker of the fruits. Now, here's an old preacher telling young Timothy something, uh, and he's talking about uh, the first part of his ministry. He's going to be hard. That's soldiering. Uh, you can liken that to the first part of a, a church and its ministry there. It's going to be hard. It's going to be a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of heartaches, a lot of hardships, a lot of self-denial, a lot of discipline. Not on that, but a lot of obedience involved. But never worry about giving up if God's called you to, to the ministry. Look at Romans chapter eleven twenty nine. 29. That's good for everybody. <clears throat> I know who it's written to. I know it's what it was written in reference to. But you've got to remember something about the Lord. If he gives you something, he gives it to you. <clears throat> now, you might not use it, and you might lose the estimation or the evaluation of it. But look at this thing in Romans chapter 11. God's called you to do work for him. Look at verse 29. He says, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Now, I understand he can make uh, Nebuchadnezzar uh, uh, I'll go out in the field and become a beast and all that. But that's a different thing. God's given you the ability to minister. God's called you to the ministry. God's called you to do work for him. And he's given you that gift, that ability. It's without repentance. God's not going to take it away. <clears throat> That'll explain. Listen now. Some of you know good men who loved the Lord, were great preachers, got all fouled up in sin. Amen? And even while they're in the middle of that sin, you know what they're doing? They're preaching up a storm and people are getting saved. You know why? Right there, you're looking at it. For the gifts of God, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. You see that? That means God gives a man a gift no matter how he uses it. Now you can look at this crowd on TBN and the TCT network and see the biggest bunch of orational uh, baboons you've ever seen get up there and woo the people and woo the masses. Why? God gave them a gift. It's not his fault. They're not using it for him. When God gives you something, he calls you to do something. He calls you to the mission field. He calls you to, uh, to do uh, just to serve in the local church. He gave you the gift. He gave you the ability. He's not going to take it away. You're stuck with it. <laughs> 
Amen. He says they're without, God's not going to be up there and repent. I wish I never gave him that thing and take that thing away. Amen. I think we'll stop right there. Lord uh, Paul likens that Christian to a soldier, and then he likens that Christian to a husbandman, a husbandman. And he's dealing, uh, detailing out stages of the ministry. All right, we'll stop right there.